Scripture reading this morning comes from the Old Testament uh, prophet um, Malachi. It is the last book of the Bible. It was likely the last book written. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get into the sermon. But um, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word uh, this morning as we look at Malachi chapter 3. And we're just going to start our reading in verse um, Let's start in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 and read down through uh, verse 7. You hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will bring a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress and the hinder workers and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thresh aside the sojourner uh, and who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. You may be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for his grace and help. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray for your grace and help. Be with me as I preach. May your spirit, O God, give me unction. May your spirit bless the congregation to take away dullness of interest. Here's we ask our God and our Father. In these days of desperate need in our own country, we pray that you'd send revival to our hearts and minds, that we would be bold for Christ, that we would not be those who are worldly-minded, but those who are heavenly-minded people, Bless your congregation. Bless this word to their hearing. Apply it, we ask, O oh God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Change occurs uh, all around us all the time. We have just gone through a monumental change in our governments overnight, really. As one administration that existed, a new administration is in residence at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The contrast between the two administrations is vast. One assured the church would not be persecuted under his rule. The other one assumed and accused the church of being a haven for hatred that would not be tolerated under his administration. A plan for safeguarding America's faith-based communities will empower religious organizations to provide safe places of worship and community for their members while also reaffirming our national commitment to freedom, tolerance, and inclusivity. 
inclusivity. That's the church now under the new administration. So it sounds rather ominous to me. One believed in the sanctity of life. The other promises to provide money for abortions overseas. Changes occur in Southwest Church have occurred in here, have they not? That's a change for the better. There are curry next door. If you want to walk over and look, that's going to be a change for the better also. Uh, people come and go. Um, I was talking to someone one time. I can't remember who it was, but I said if we had all the people that started out with us here today, we'd have about five or 600 people. And what's happened to them? Well, a lot of them have gone to glory. I think the first funeral I did after I got here, I think, was Willard Dallahan. I believe it was Willard. He was about 85, 86 years old when he went on to glory. Uh, others have moved away, uh, have relocated to other states, uh, other places in the city too far away to come be with us. Others have simply decided to move on to other churches for one reason or another. In some ways, the only constant in the universe is change. There is in this before us, this, this uh, little section of Malachi, uh, a contrast to change. And it is a referral, a reference uh, to God, that God does not change. And we should praise him and thank him for that. And here's a question for you. In America today, how healthy would you grade the church? How healthy would you grade this church? So far as commitment to scripture, commitment to preaching, and the presentation of the gospel. How healthy is the church in the United States today? Is there a cry going out from the pulpits for repentance? Is there a cry for people to turn away from their sin? There is in this text before us this morning, God's welcoming people back to him upon condition of their own repentance. God does not change. Again, this was the last book written. Last book of the Old Testament, probably between Ezra and Nehemiah sometime in that time period, about 433 B.C. The spiritual condition of Israel is spiritual indifference. It's kind of amazing that after they had gotten back from captivity, after uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, and they had that great revival under Nehemiah, that at this point in the life of Israel, there is spiritual laziness and spiritual indifference. Some interesting verses here in chapter 3 of verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. That's a reference to John the Baptist who would be upon the earth in about 400 years. And over in chapter 4 and verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's also a reference to John the Baptist. And so the close of the Old Testament canon is a reference to the next great prophet to come on the scene who is going to be John the Baptist. Well, this morning, as we look at this, we'll see three things. The unfailing love of God for his people is rooted in his faithfulness. The unfailing love of God for his people abides when they are faithless. And the unfailing love of God for his people is seen in his invitation for them to return to him when they have drifted away. And we'll see this morning that because God has established a relationship with us that is everlasting because God has entered into a irrevocable commitment to his people, he is never going to forsake them. Never going to forsake them. We believe in a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. 
Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that you can walk down an aisle or some such thing as that, and then you're free to live as you choose to live because God is not going to cast you off? No, it's perseverance of the saints, not of professors, but saints, those who have truly come to embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can check our hearts to check our spiritual uh, barometer is how deep is our affection for the things of Christ? How sincere is our desire for the things of eternity? Well, the first thing then, the unfailing love of God for his people is rooted in his own faithfulness. God does not change. You read that in the text. The reason he has not cast off Israel, though they should have been cast off because they cast him off, is our God does not change. He keeps his promises. The Bible clearly teaches us this. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should change, that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. First Samuel fifteen twenty nine. And also the glory of Israel will not lie, that's God, or have regret, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Isaiah fourteen twenty seven. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, who will annul it? He has stretched out his hand, who will change? Who will turn it back? Hebrews thirteen eight. We should all know this one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. So our God does not change, and God's immutable character expresses itself in two ways. He does not change in his person. He does not change in his being. Uh, He is not evolving. Uh, He is not learning. He is not making mistakes and determining not to make those mistakes again. He is lacking nothing in his being that would necessitate any type of change. He does not change in his person. He is immutable in his attributes. Semper idiom. What are God's attributes? Well, they are the distinctive features that that, uh, make God who he is, uh, if you will. Uh, His holiness, his wisdom, his infinity, his knowledge, his goodness, his sovereignty. Uh, God does not need to change his person or his character. He also, secondly, does not change his purposes. God does not have to have a new plan. I think it was years ago, I think it was an advertisement for Ford, a car, Ford automobile. It was Ford has a better idea. I think that was the, the slogan. You know, they come up with these things. People that come up with those make bunches of money. Uh, and uh, they're very popular for a time, and then they're gone, and somebody else has to come up with a new slogan. If you want to make money, get into marketing. Come up with slogans for Coca-Cola. Would like to teach the world to sing that one, you know. People just made a bunch of money. Ford has a better idea. Well, God doesn't have better ideas. All of God's ideas are perfect, and he does not have any new ones. His purposes do not change. God is perfect in all of his ways. The second thing is the unfading love of God for his people abides when they are faithless. Israel habitually turned away from God. We know that as we look at Old Testament history, we understand that they historically turned away from God. Is this what he says here in the text? In verse 7, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. What are the statutes of God? They are his commandments. They've turned away from them. They go back to the beginning to look at Adam and Eve in the garden, and you know what happened. God said, you can live your life freely, you can live your life without fear, you can live your life enjoying the creation that I have uh, given to you. One thing, don't eat off that tree. Don't eat from that tree, don't do it. Well, that's exactly what they did. 
Following that, Cain and Abel, as you know, Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. And uh, the first murder took place that's recorded for us there in Genesis and the third chapter. Consider Abraham, the father of the faith. Two different times Abraham lied about Sarah and said she is my sister, though she was his half-sister. He lied about it so that he said this, don't let people know you're my wife. You're good looking. You're quite a looker. Pharaoh's going to want you to be in his harem. You tell him you're my sister. So I won't be hurt. He did the same thing again to Abimelech, king Abimelech. He did the same thing. You tell him you're my sister and that you're available. Both times God protected Sarah from being uh, defiled in any way. And it's such a cowardly thing for Abraham to do. And both times Abraham had to stand before a pagan king. Abraham, who had God had established his covenant with Abraham, um, uh, God had promised Abraham the world was going to be blessed through his seed, ultimately that being the descendant of Abraham, Christ. And here he is being reproved by kings that did not know God. Why have you done this to us? Abimelech said, what did I ever do to you that you would do this to me? How could you have deceived me? How could you deceive my people? So there, this Abraham, this great individual who had spoken to God, lied to save his own skin at the expense of the purity of his wife. Well, third thing, Sarah decided uh, she had a, uh, an idea of how to bring a child about into the world. God said, you're going to have a child. Well, I can't have one. Uh, you're old, Abraham. You're getting way too old to father children. So here's what you do. You go into my, uh, my maid, Hagar, and you have a child with her. Abraham thought that's a great idea. That's, now you're thinking, he said. You're thinking outside the box. I like that. So he goes in and he has relations with, uh, with Hagar and he has a child. The name of the child is Ishmael. And again, <laughs> not pleasing to God to do that kind of thing. So, you know, you look at all of uh, the early church fathers, all of them had significant failings. Why? Well, they knew God personally, uh, but they were sinners. And so they failed in that they sinned against the Lord. Um, How often we make poor decisions, we do not prayerfully consider a matter before we proceed into it headlong and make one mistake after another. I remember there was a black gentleman from Mississippi, and he was on the cover of World Magazine. I can't think of his name. He's 90 years old. Um, he came to Covenant Seminary one time and I was talking to him, and uh, he said that uh, before he did uh, anything, he would, if it was a meeting, he said, I've got to go talk to my father before we make decisions on this. And so he would go and he would pray about it. Well, and that's something that we should be. We should be people of, of constant prayer in our lives, waiting upon God and trusting his timing. Well, you consider King David, adulterer, murderer, liar, um, and as you peruse through the Old Testament, you continue to see that there were uh, failings on the part of prophets, failing on the part of kings, failing on the part of the people again and again and again. However, Israel's worst sin was that of rejecting God. You remember in the book of Hebrews, it says, once you have trodden underfoot the Lord Jesus Christ, 
there's no room left for repentance. Well, the idea is where are you going to go? How are you going to be made right with God? If you reject Christ, how are you going to find righteousness before the Lord? Well, if you reject the God of Israel, where are you going to go? Well, there's no place to go. So here it is that there were sinners in the sight of God among the people of God, Abraham and King David. But one thing was true of these men. One thing that was true of these men needs to be noted. Did they sin? Yes, they did sin. Did they sin greatly? Yes, they did sin greatly. But neither one of them turned to idolatry. And both of them came to repentance. That can't be said for Israel. Israel again and again set up idols and worshipped them. It's funny, in the book of Isaiah, I think it's in Isaiah chapter 40, says uh, someone who can't afford one gets a god of wood and covers it over and makes it so it won't fall down. But it can't see and it can't hear and it can't do anything. The only being that can assist us in the time of our troubles is our God. And medication is efficacious if God blesses it. You hear that? Medication is efficacious if God blesses it. It was interesting that we had um, a young man come years ago, David Finnegan. Y'all, you know Dave, dear man. Uh, he had uh, metastasized melanoma to the lungs, fourth stage. Uh, and I remember talking to my lung doctor about it. He said, melanoma does not respond well to chemotherapy. Well, Dave lived. He started running marathons. Another man came out with the same kind of cancer, melanoma, Mr. Allen, Angela's daddy from Ohio. Same treatment. He didn't live. Why? Same treatment, same cancer. Why? There may be some type of explanation medically. Perhaps their metabolisms were different. But ultimately we say this. God was pleased to heal one and not pleased to heal the other. We have to leave it at that. So uh, we recognize that our great God is a God who gives life. And if we are going to have help in this world, it comes ultimately through our great God. Not through man's technology which is a wonderful thing, but it comes when God blesses. Israel's worst sin was that of idolatry. Uh, I, I mean, Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, it says here. Visiting the iniquity of the Father's of the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Exodus 34, 12 and 15. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. That is, as they go into the promised land. Lest you become a, lest it become a snare in your midst and you shall tear down their altars and break them and pillars and cut down their ashes. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord. His name is jealous, is a jealous God. The same God that spoke these words is the God that we serve today. He wants first place in our life ever and always. 
And he listen to this. He demands perfect obedience because he is offended by your sin. Okay? He doesn't say it's okay to sin once in a while. He doesn't say it's okay to be unfaithful occasionally. He doesn't say that at all. Little Catechism, question 14, what is sin? Sin is any one of conformity unto, failing to do what we are commanded to do, what theologians call sins of omission or transgressing the law of God, sins of commission, actually sinning against the Lord by doing something he tells us not to do. You remember what dear Bill Combs said one time uh, on a Sunday evening? You've heard me say it. You'll probably hear me say it many more times if I continue to be here. <laughs> God takes your sin personally. I love that when Bill said that. Bill is uh, just it's always so pleasant to hear, listen to him preach. God takes your sins personally. And so we were talking about the violation of the laws not that the government has given to us, like the speeding laws and those type of things. Everybody breaks those, right? Not me. We're talking about the violation of the laws of the God of creation. The God who is uh, the one who gives life. The God who is the judge of all the earth. And unfaithfulness to God in our own lives is often ignored. There are times when we need to make it right with somebody. We know we need to make it right. We don't do it. Why? We don't want to. There's a big word that starts with a P. It's called pride. And I see it a lot of times. We just don't want to because we have to humble ourselves. We don't want to do that. It's embarrassing, perhaps. Whatever the case may happen to be. It is often that we know there is sin in our lives and we don't care and we don't do anything about it. Well, God cares. God notices. He's the one that's offended ultimately. What did David say in Psalm 51? Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done that which is wrong. So faithfulness, unfaithfulness to God on the part of um, his people throughout history has been ignored. There are several things going on here in the book of Malachi. Uh, one thing is, uh, there's uh, um, shoddiness in worship. The priests are offering blemished animals. They were not to do that. They were to offer the perfect animals. Why? Because those sacrifices were a picture of the sacrifice to come in Christ. So the sacrifices were to be without blemish. And God says to them, offer them to your governors and see what they think about them. So they were doing that. The priests were offering sacrifices that God had ordered against. Also, men were leaving their wives. Uh, they had gotten older, and they were trading men for a new model, like a car. You know, you drive your car, and it kind of breaks down. It gets rusty and old. That's what these guys were doing. He says here, you have defiled the covenant of the wife of your youth. So they were just cutting them loose. They also were marrying foreign women. They were not to marry people outside the nation of Israel. They were marrying people outside of the, of, of the nation of Israel. What was wrong with that? Well, they were pagans. They didn't worship and serve the God of creation, the God of Israel. So there were a lot of things happening here. Then one also was the fact that they were failing to give their tithes and offerings to the Lord. So all of these things were happening. The priests were ignoring it. 
As a matter of fact, you say the priests were encouraging it. And Israel had become hardened in their hearts against the Lord, and so their sin was being ignored. And we do the same thing in our own lives at times as well. You know, in Psalm 139, at the end of it, David says, uh, try me. Uh, see if there's any impure way in me. <laughs> That's how desperately he wanted to be pleasing to God. Lord, try me. Let me know if there is any waywardness in me. Let me know if there is any ungodliness in me so that I might repent of it. Because he desperately wanted to be like his God. You know, it was saying, remember Psalm 19, thy, thy, uh, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. See, like in the church today, so many cases it is, oh, how I ignore that. No, it's not my meditation very often at all. The church in America today, so often, it seems to me, has gotten to this. My main reason or desire or what I want out of coming to worship is to get things. Worship is about worshiping and adoring our God. He listens. His angels are gathered around here as we worship him. We're here to praise him and listen to his word read and preached. And as we sit there in the congregation, we pray, Lord, apply this word to my heart. That I might be more like Christ. That I might be pleasing to you. Because I look at my own heart and know how terribly worldly it is. Hardened in so many ways. And rebellion against your providence as we look at our own hearts. Well, the last thing that we can see here is the unfailing love of God for his people is seen in his open invitation for them to return. They've been very, very offensive to God. Have you ever been offended? Have you ever been offended? <laughs> sure you have. Now, maybe your wife offended you. Maybe your husband offended you. Maybe a friend offended you. Maybe somebody in traffic offended you. I bet everybody's had that, huh? Maybe somebody at work offended you. Well, how do you like it? You don't. Nobody wants to be offended, right? Maybe somebody offended you uh, on purpose, right? Just out of spite. We don't like it. Well, God does not like it when we offend him either. And sin is an offense to God. And yet the great love of God, he says, he returned to me and I will return to you. We could probably examine and look at, at a wife whose husband was abusive and whose husband was a philanderer, all of these kinds of things, and he was... Uh, he was uh, cruel to her, and he leaves, and he comes back, and he leaves, and he comes back, and finally your friends say, you know, this is something you don't have to do this. Uh, before the Lord, you don't have to do this. And yet she continues to do so. See, our God loves us so much, and that would be the reason for the wife. She loves him so much. She wants him back. God loves us so much 
he welcomes us back. He knows we are but flesh. He knows that we are frail. He knows that we are given to falling. And so he says this, draw near to me, is what it says in James, and I will draw near to you. Return to me and I will return to you. Notice God's ever-present grace to his people. He does not say to those who have rejected him, those who have turned away from him, those who are ignoring his law, return to me, uh, but I may ignore you. Return to me, and I will never have you back. Return to me, but I am going to shut you out. And so you're wasting your time. This is great. You get it? This is great stuff right here. This is a great message. Because as God spoke through Malachi, the prophet of old, he speaks to us today. Again, the book of James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Are you living your life in a spiritual wasteland? You don't enjoy God. You don't sense his presence. You don't sense his comfort. All you sense is emptiness in your life. Well, what's going on? Well, we could ask ourselves this question. Are we giving ourselves faithfully to worship? The primary means of grace is the proclamation of the Word of God. Are we giving ourselves faithfully to worship? Are you giving yourselves faithfully to Scripture reading? Are you giving yourselves faithfully to prayer and just pursuing after God, draw near to God? How do we do that? Well, we do it through worship. We do it through prayer. We do it, prayer, we do it through repentance. As he quoted a minute ago, Repentance is a daily affair. Repentance is something that we do again and again. So it is a marvel of God's unfailing love for us. He invites us to return to him. Now, they have a responsibility, do they not, here? As we said just a moment ago, it doesn't simply say, uh, return to me, and that's the end of it. And it says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me. Turn around and seek after me, God says to us here in this text. Their responsibility is to come to repentance. There are some, uh, there's something uh, about... Uh, Christmas that is just magical to a child. I remember those days, that excitement and that fun on Christmas morning when you wake up and there scattered about was uh, toys. It was just a golden, golden day. That should be what we feel like and what we have with God golden days. Everyone, what does Paul say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And so that in times of difficulty, in times of stress, in times of trouble, uh, it is that we seek after the Lord's face. 
and we rejoice in him. That means we also rejoice in his providence when it's not something that pleases us. Do you hear that? Rejoice in the Lord, we read in the scriptures. Rejoice in the Lord always because he makes no mistakes. And everything that he does is right and perfect. And he does it for your good. Let's pray.